ever you may, woo, there we go. I'm alive and the sound is working today. But, uh, but we want to welcome you from wherever you may be joining us, wherever, uh, whether you are joining us right here at our Coral Gables campus, we are so glad to see every single one of you today. Or if you are joining us to the south, to our Kindle campus, we are praying for you and we love you down there. Or whether you'd be joining us around the world, church online, or tuning in to Christ Journey Radio, we are so glad that you are here and we want to welcome you today in the spirit of friendship. And I want to start with this question. What's your favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie of all time. On my top 10 list, hands down, the number one slot goes to Top Gun, hands down. That should be all of your answers, Top Gun. All of you should have just said Top Gun. Move out of the way, La La Land, Top Gun, hands down, best film of all time. You can't beat it, can't beat it. It's got everything in that movie. I've seen it more times than I can count, but central to to the theme of that movie is the friendship between Maverick and Goose. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you know that. I can't believe it didn't make the montage. Can't believe it. But uh, but Maverick and Goose, man, like they they do no, they stop at nothing, literally nothing, to help one another and help their friends. In the opening scene of the film, they risk their own lives to help their friend Cougar land safely on the aircraft carrier. One of the best scenes, opening scenes of all time. And uh, every time I watch it, I think to myself, man, I need compadres like that in my life, man. I need I need friends in my life like that. Friends willing to stop at nothing to help me. And so do you. You need friends like that as well. We all need people like that in our lives that we can be on, the, be on call for as well as those people be on call for us. We need those kinds of friendships in our lives. In his book, Vital Friends, author Tom Rath says this, and I quote, the energy shared between two people drives healthy marriage partners, work relationships, and faith communities. But on the very next page, he says this, Yet when we consciously think about improving our lives, we put all of our effort into self-development. Self-development, which makes sense to a point. But when we think about developing our life, our way of living, rather than thinking about how we can also develop those around us for the benefit of, of sharing life together, we often tend to focus just on the self, right? We tend to make things about ourselves. Shortly after I moved to Miami, had a conversation with uh, one of our young adult 20-somethings who confessed to me that his friendships felt like a traded commodity. Broke my heart when I heard that. He called his friendships used goods. Broke my heart. He told me a few instances in his past when guys came to him, sought out his friendship, he made himself vulnerable, extended his trust to them only for those guys to then use him for their own gain. You could feel his woundedness come out as he told me this story. But just like moments when people hurt us, we often find ourselves responding sometimes in like manner. And for him, he found himself treating his own friends in the, same, in the very same transactional fashion as those guys treated him, giving rise to that old adage that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And for him, he found himself doing the very same thing. But yet he came to me because he realized that he could not transact his way into satisfaction. In the business world, transactions trade or exchange goods within the marketplace. That's a good and healthy thing. That's where, that's where transactions need to take place. But within the friendship world, transactional dialogue, transactional behavior, transactional manners only seek to answer one core objective. 
And that is this, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can this friendship do for me? How can it benefit me? For many of us, I think that flies under the radar. But I think all of us in some way, shape, or form, we, we, wrestle, we, we wrestle with that tension. We live in that tension of seeking to live out of humble servanthood to those who we call friends and even those with whom we interact, but also trying to balance out what, what can they do for us also. That inherently is the definition of transactional relationships. And to live this way seeks your welfare above all else. It declares you, quite frankly, as the God of your own life. Buying into the ultimate lie of lies that you can do your own life, your own way, by your own hand. Every sin, every brokenness, every hurt done to us, every hurt done by us flows out of that central narrative that we can live our own life, our own way, by our own hand. Transactional living always, always leaves us feeling dissatisfied. Always. Some people realize that earlier in life, as this young man did, but some people may not realize it until later in life when they reflect and they think, why do I feel so dissatisfied? At the core of it, it really is living into this notion that we can do our own life our own way by our own hand. And that breeds the kind of transactional relationships that seek to accomplish your core objective of what can you do that benefits me? Transactional living, quite frankly, kills our souls. It deteriorates our very souls, deteriorates them to the very core of our being. But healthy friendships, on the other hand, healthy friendships, those demand vulnerability. Healthy friendships, the kind that seeks to benefit the good of the other and the kind that reciprocates the same for you, that demands trust, a bedrock of trust that is built over time and allows you to then live out of health and humility rather than transactional living. Choosing the hard way, choosing that hard, difficult road, implying that on a regular basis, that takes an enormous amount of time, but it always leads to a satisfying life. Always does. And it always leads to satisfying friendships when at the end of the day, after hanging up the phone or visiting with one of those friendships, you feel fulfilled and you feel lifted up and you feel like that there was something greater that took place between you than the sum of the two parts coming together as a whole within the friendship. Choosing that way, that's the hard way, but it always leads to satisfaction. Friendships, friendships matter for your life. They matter for your life and they matter also for your faith and your faith matters for your friends. Friendships truly can make an eternal difference. You, did you know, can make an eternal difference in how you engage with your friendships. And they certainly did for one paralyzed man. The gospel writer Mark recorded an incident long ago in his letter that documented a moment, a moment in time between five friends five friends that caught the attention of Jesus himself, if you can believe it or not. Five friends that lived out the audacity of faith and sought not to live in transaction with one another, but to live within the spirit of grace together. Let me read along with me, beginning in Mark chapter two, verse one. Mark records this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, not even outside the door. Not one single person more could fit into that house. 
I bet it made the Capernaum city fire marshal just lose his mind, lose his mind that day. But soon into his ministry, news about Jesus went viral across the land. I can imagine hundreds, if not more, sick and lame coming to Jesus, just hoping for something, anything. No one quite knew who Jesus was. This was so early on in the, in the beginning stage of his ministry that no one quite knew who this man was. Was he just some kind of miracle worker? They thought, was he, is this guy, is he the real deal? Who, who was this guy? And I bet still others gathered around just to kind of see what David Blaine, street magic, this guy might do next. I mean, no one, no one understood why he was there, who he was. They just saw Jesus doing extraordinary, unbelievable things wherever he went. And so crowds began gathering around him when he traveled. Mark continued, while he was preaching God's word to them. So Jesus is in this house. He's unpacking the scriptures for the people around him. Four men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat arrived at the house. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Too many people, not enough entry points into the home. Everything was blocked off. So get this. They dug a hole through the roof right above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Wow. Sheer grit and determination made a way for these four guys to get their friend within range of Jesus, just hoping, just for the potential that Jesus might do something. Anyone ever done that for you? Have you ever done that for anyone else? Mark doesn't record any of of the prior history between these men, but their determination alone symbolizes the, the friendship bond that these men felt for one another. Amazing. Because friends bring friends to Jesus. Friends bring friends to Jesus. It's, it's what we do. It's what, it's what friends do. You can feel the affection for their friend with every hatchet cut into the thatched roof. Stepping back and you see, you see dust beginning to fall. You see a hole opening up, light beginning to penetrate down into the home. Jesus wiping the dust off his brow, wondering what is going on here, <laughs> right? I mean, only tenacious faith would risk climbing up a stranger's roof, balancing on wooden beams and punching through the mud just for the possibility, no guarantee, just for the possibility that Jesus might do something. That's dangerous faith, dangerous faith. And it beckons the question for us, who needs our faith to get dangerous? Who, who needs our faith to get dangerous, to get them within range of Jesus? Well, he saw it, and then he rewarded it. Mark says this, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. What? <laughs> your sins are forgiven? Um, you know one of those guys up on the roof, especially if this took place in Miami, you know one of those guys would be like, uh, hey, Jesus, hey, uh, Hey, thanks for the forgiveness, but uh, his legs, Jesus, his legs don't work. Could you do something about his legs? I mean, that's, that's what brought him to Jesus. And for him to, to hear that his sins were forgiven, that, that made no sense to anybody, to anybody. Some of us who have been following Jesus for a little while, we read scripture and we get used to Jesus saying these kinds of things. Yeah, your sins are forgiven. Oh, okay, okay, that's good. But for everyone in that room 
including the layman and including the foreman still up on the roof, peering down, wondering what, what is going on right now? No one expected Jesus to say that. It, it sucked the air right out of the room and it caused everyone to lean in and really take seriously the question, who is this man? Who is this man that claims to forgive sins? Who is Jesus? It's a question that every single one of us have to ask at some point in our life. Who is Jesus? Well, it definitely got the attention of a few people in the room. Mark continues in verse six, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is Jesus saying? This is blasphemy, what he just said. Only God can forgive sins. These teachers in in this narrative, uh, I I love it because, and I hope you can see this with fresh eyes today. And if you're new, if you're visiting with us today, then I hope that you you see it for what it is because the teachers here, they appear as the wagging finger, scornful killjoys in the room. But these teachers bring up a great question. These teachers are, these teachers recognize that only God can forgive sins. Only God can do that kind of thing. And everyone knew that a priest within the temple could pronounce the forgiveness of sins by restitution, repentance, and sacrifice in that order as the law lays out in Leviticus chapters 4, 5, 16, and 17. The teachers knew that very, very well. But what Jesus did here was something altogether different. Altogether different. Jesus saw this man, forgave him of his sins, and he appeared to do so freely and on the basis of his own judgment, as if Jesus was God. And so Jesus here was making a declaration about his identity, but Jesus was also doing so at his own peril. Make no mistake about it. This was not a kumbaya moment between him and this lame man. Jesus made a pronouncement, the forgiveness of sins. He did so at the risk of of being called a blasphemer, which according to the law demands the death penalty. And so this was, this is a very precarious position that Jesus put himself in at the very beginning stages of his ministry and to do so for, for one reason, because Jesus wanted people to know in the room then and wanted the layman to know right there that he came to bring healing forgiveness, healing forgiveness to not just him, but the whole world. He seems to be doing something so different, so different than anyone ever thought that Jesus would do. In fact, Mark continues, he says this, and Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. He knew that they were thinking along these lines. And so he asked them this question, why do you question this in your hearts? Behind that meaning, why, do you, why are you questioning what's going on right now? Why are you questioning what I am doing? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man's, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Which is easier? to make a theological pronouncement about the forgiveness of sins, to say your sins are forgiven, or to offer empirical proof, what we all want anyway, to offer empirical proof that indeed the man's sins have been forgiven by virtue of him getting up, picking up his mat, and walking out the door of that house. Which is easier to say? Well, Mark records that Jesus said, so I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. 
At once the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. I, I, just imagine, imagine seeing that before your very eyes. They were all amazed. Mark does not distinguish here between the crowds and the teachers and the foreman. He just says, everyone, everyone here stood amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Jesus did what he said he could do. He verifiably proved himself as the son of God, able to forgive sins and provide healing restoration. But get this, not, not because of anything that the lame man could do or anything that the foreman still standing on the roof could do for that matter. He didn't ask anything in return. He didn't go and then say, okay, you're healed. Stand up and walk away. And then on your way out, go by the temple and make a sacrifice. And then you know, we'll make sure everything's cleared up at the end of the day. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, stand up get up and go home. This here, this here, Jesus forgave and healed this man solely, solely based on grace and grace alone. This contradicted everything about their culture then, everything about their religious system, everything about how they lived their life, and quite honestly, I think grace still to this day contradicts everything about our life today. It still contradicts how many of us live our life, how many of us even understand our faith, certainly how we interact with one another. I mean, ask yourself the question, how, how often do you find yourself still bargaining with God? Still trying to cut deals with God? You know, if I, if I do this, okay, God, if I do this, then please do this for me. Or God, okay, like I'm, I've, been, I've been living this way for so long. Please, please do this for me. Or how often do you, do you try to reconcile, okay, you know, I'm, I'm living, I, I haven't done this thing that I used to do in so long, so certainly, certainly I can, I've made my way into heaven by now, right? How often do we still ask ourselves those kinds of questions? Listen, friends, our faith isn't transactional. Our faith isn't based on any, anything like that. Our, our faith isn't even about behavior modification. It's not even about now I got to, I got to do something different and not say these certain things and do these certain. Yeah. Like out of your faith, there comes a, a way of living into, into what it means to follow Jesus. But our faith doesn't demand that, nor does it even tell us to do that. Our faith, if anything is based on grace and grace alone. And on in that day, in that house, I believe that those people not only witnessed the miracle of a man being forgiven and a man being healed, but they truly witnessed the miracle of grace, grace, is the true miracle in this narrative. Grace is the true miracle. And I believe that Mark set this in the second chapter right after the introduction because they, he wanted everyone to read on from this point with this in mind, with grace in mind. Grace is the true miracle. Jesus saw a man who sought him and found him. And then he responded with grace. My friends, this changes everything. This changes everything. Transactional living will kill your soul. It will kill your soul. It will deteriorate you over time to the point where you can hardly recognize yourself and allow yourself to enter into a, a real healthy relationship with someone else. Transactional living will kill from you. It will demand you. And if you build your life's foundation upon it, then your faith will naturally follow suit. And you will constantly find yourself asking the question, who is Jesus? Doubting his promises, doubting what you hear about yourself, doubting friendships. I believe this. And I've said this before that I think that when people doubt their faith, it's less about the intellect and it's more about the heart. It's more about they can't get over their, themselves. They can't, we can't get over giving up our own way of doing life to really receive the true miracle that Jesus brought that day. 
grace. Oh, grace. So good. Grace changes our worldview from asking, why did this happen to me? Why, why is this happening to me? To then asking the question, who is this one that offers healing forgiveness for me? Grace changes the question. It changes everything. Trust, now, this is important to note here. Trusting Jesus does not, does not take away the physical ailments and pain from life. Please do not read that into this narrative. But rather, Jesus here, Jesus promised that in the midst of our physical pain and ailments, in the midst of, our, of the brokenness of our life and our world, that our Heavenly Father extends gracious healing forgiveness to every single one of us to where we can live a true and real and satisfying life in the here and now. That's what this narrative promises for us. Transactional behavior always overpromises satisfaction. And it never delivers. Never. Grace, on the other hand, promises satisfaction and it delivers every single time. These four men affected forever the eternity of their paralyzed friend because they graciously set aside their own lives for a few moments in time to get their friend within range who then graciously offered healing forgiveness to the man. Grace got their friend to Jesus. Grace healed the man. Because friends bring friends to Jesus. It's it's what we do. It's what friends do. Friends bring their friends to Jesus. This whole passage here in Mark 2, it beckons the question of all of us, who needs to get in range? Who do you know who needs to get in range within Jesus? The short answer is everybody. Everybody needs to get in range with you. Everybody needs and deserves to hear the healing forgiveness that Jesus promised to extend to every single one of us in this room, every single one of us not yet here in this room, to the whole world. This is open to everybody. No one's excluded. No one has to earn it. No one needs to deserve anything for it. You just, you just go. You just bring them within range. Everybody needs to hear this because at the end of the day, people are dying in our world. People are dying within our church. Lives are in the balance for a lot of people within our church certainly people within our city. Families are constantly on the brink and eternity is at stake for every single one of us. I want you to feel the urgency of our faith. I really, really do. I want you to feel that right now because it's true. It's true for all of us. It's true for our family members, for our friends, our work colleagues. It's true for people in this city. Just in the 18 months that I've been serving this church, I've done three funerals of young men, 30 30 years old and younger. This is a true statement. And I know a lot of you feel it too, because you interact with us on a regular basis as well. And you know how hard it can be to remove the barriers out of the way, to, to, get, to get things out of the way for people to come into range of Jesus, to let Jesus do what only he can do. We're not the ones called to save anything. Thank God for that. I'm not the one who's called to heal the man. Thank God. I'm just the one who's called to bring him within range. And every one of us have that calling on our lives. Every single one of us do. What are you willing to do for the sake of your friends? How far are you willing to go to remove those barriers out of the way? From this passage, I see three barriers in particular that I think stand in the way of our friends getting within range, getting into the house. The first barrier are external attractions external attractions. For some, just getting to church can feel like the most difficult step of all, even for us. 
even for those of us who follow Jesus, though our doors are wide open to anyone who wants to find and follow Jesus, sometimes just getting into the house itself can feel like the most difficult step of all. Things as simple as the weather, things as simple as as feeling tired from a long weekend and you just want to get some rest, but things more complicated, like, like feeling like we're thinking about religion as archaic and not useful, or thinking like you may have it all together, or your friends may have it all together, and they don't need this right now. Friends, what, whatever, whatever stands in their way in order to get them out of the way means that you need to get into conversation with your friends and share why your experiences here matter so much, why restoration and reconciliation matter so much, why waiting to get on the boat maybe an hour later in the morning matters so much because life itself flows out of that truth. Life itself flows out of restoration and out of reconciliation. And I, I know so many of my own friends who do not yet come to church, but I pray for them often, who think about life solely from their own lens, who live within a three-foot diameter of their own world. And I, I just think to myself, how much richer and satisfying their life would be if they would just simply let Jesus heal them. If we could just get him within range. One well-known pastor offered a strategy for attuning your ear to find ways in a conversation that may help others overcome some of these challenges. I want to offer just three of them. He says, listen for the three knots. Listen for the three knots. When you hear your friends talk about not being in church, when you hear your friends say that life's not going well or that they just weren't prepared for this to happen in their life, that might create a natural entry point in a conversation where you can acknowledge their experiences because we all have those experiences, including me. We all have experiences of not being in church, of things not going well, of us not being prepared for certain things. You can acknowledge those experiences and then align your story to theirs and then share why restoration matters so much for the healing process why reconciliation with God in our faith actually leads to satisfaction. But on the other hand, please be cautious not to listen for the three knots just so that you can make an invite because that would base your whole conversation on a transaction. Instead, listen for those three knots. Allow yourself to enter into those conversations for the purpose of extending grace, first and foremost for the purpose of extending grace. And as those opportunities arise to get them within, within range, then do so. Then listen for that. It may not be in that conversation. It may be several conversations down the road. But listen for those ways that you can bring your friends within range. As Pastor Bill mentioned a couple of weeks ago, let your faith take a risk as you seek to let Jesus lead your conversation. The second barrier are internal distractions. Not a breath after Jesus offered the man forgiveness, the religious people called foul, which then prevented the man from receiving fully what, what Jesus just offered him. You know, as people of faith, we need to ensure that we don't stand in our own way and distract others who need to get into the house. How tragic would it be? How tragic would it be if those new to our church experience the same transactional judgment that they may experience anywhere else in our world. How tragic. We believe in a different way. We believe in grace. We believe 
in sacrificial love. And that sacrificial love is the anecdote to transactional living. Jesus is calling you to a much different way of life, a way of truth and a way of grace, releasing your power and control, releasing that lie where you can do things your own way by your own hand to make your own life, releasing that surrenders over that lie so that you can then receive the healing forgiveness yourself and then extend that to others. You know, just before Jesus ate his final supper with his disciples, Jesus gave each one of them this final commandment from John 15. He said this, love one another in the same way that I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And if you obey my commandment, then you are my friends. Jesus offers us a pathway into friendship. And he calls us now to express it not just here within the local church, but he calls us to express it in the world, in our city. Imagine, imagine our church extending this friendship and love to our city. And so all of those not yet here. So rather than blocking the entryway for someone to get within range of Jesus by distracting them with your own power and control, release it and let go and let Jesus lead you into your own healing forgiveness so that you can then extend it to others. Because friends bring friends to Jesus. It's what we do, it's, it's what friends do. The third barrier here is personal action. Jesus told the man to pick up his mat and walk. He didn't force the man to do it. Jesus extends an offer, not a mandate. And at some point in our lives, all of us must decide to act, to act on, on it one way or the other. Let me close by asking you this. Who are you in this story? Who do you identify with in this narrative? Are you part of the crowd? Leaning in, asking questions? Well, let me encourage you to keep leaning in and asking those questions. Let me encourage you to keep wondering, who is this man that does these things? Who is this man? But let me also encourage you at some point to get into it with us. Get in it. You're not going to have it all figured out. I certainly don't have it figured out. But what I do know, and I take my hope and confidence in, is that living life with Jesus is better than living life on my own. That's something I do know for sure. And so get in with us. Are you the paralyzed man, broken and seeking healing? Has life knocked you down off your feet? Well, who are your three or four? Who are your three or four friends that you need to get you to Jesus? Let them take you there. Receive the healing forgiveness from them. And then let's get into it together. Let's dance together with healed legs, ready to go and serve our city together. Are you one of the teachers calling foul on those people trying to get people within range? Let me encourage you, please, please let go. Let go of your power control. Let go of living your own life your own way. And instead, remember the healing forgiveness that Jesus once gave to you so that now we can join together and bring other people here within range. And then let me ask you this. Are you one of the friends? Are you one of the friends who are actually doing the work of getting people here? Well, let me encourage you to keep after it because I know it can seem wearisome and tiresome and you may feel fatigued from doing it and, and getting into those conversations and looking for entry points in a conversation. But let me encourage you to keep going because we're in this thing together and you are not alone. Who, is, who needs your hands to get dirty? Who needs you to thatch open some roofs? And let's do this together as a church. Let's get out into the waters together. You know, I love Top Gun when he, highway to 
the danger zone. You know, I love that opening, that opening song of, of Top Gun. But you know what is the real danger zone of our faith is Easter. Easter is the true danger zone of our faith because that is when Jesus went to the cross for every single one of us who died for us and who offers salvation for us. And now he calls us, he calls those who follow him to go to the same places. So let's go to the danger zone, man. We've got nothing to fear. Nothing to fear in this world. Certainly nothing to fear in this city as we live as a church, fearless and undaunted to go out and to get our friends within range. Four men brought one man. Who's your one friend? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for going to the cross for us. We thank you for making grace and salvation possible for us. God, you stopped at nothing to make a way. And so God, now we ask that you give us the courage to stop at nothing to make a way for our friends. God, give us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, to help our friends get within range of you. God, we may be the only ones and there's so much at stake. And so Lord, I pray that you, you guide us. Our hands are open to you. Guide our church, lead us. Lead us into the danger zone, God. We're ready to go. And in so doing, help us know that our faith grows as we do so. We get to know you better as we, as we follow you, as we, as we go on this journey with you. What an honor. And so Lord, for, for those in here who are feeling stirred, who feel like they wanna, they wanna join this, maybe for the first time, God, I, I wanna pray for them now. And if you are feeling stirred, if, if, this, if this feels like something that, that you wanna give your life over to, you're done living your own way, then would you say this prayer with me? Father, I wanna, I wanna see forgiveness now. Forgive me for living life my own way. Forgive me for trying to do life by my own hand. Lord, I wanna live a satisfying life, one that follows after you and one that sees my friends do the very same thing. And so God, I ask that you come into my life, that you restore me, you heal me, you bind up my wounds and you heal my broken heart. God, I ask that you do that for me now. If you prayed that prayer today, then would you mind putting up your hands just so I can see you and bless you, pray for you, thank you. Those of you in the center, the center row, thank you. Those of you in the center section, thank you, thank you. I see the hands on, the, on my left, thank you. Thank you. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand in the back row in the center, thank you. God, we thank you for the hands raised. We thank you for calling us to be a church that doesn't stay comfortable within these walls, but is called out to go into our city and to love our city and to see you heal it and restore it, just like you've restored every single one of us. God, thank you. And so now we ask for that courage. And we ask this week to lead us in conversations as we go to those far places. Lord, we make this prayer in your name. Amen.